to break it afternoon. It is Niall Boyle, and we're right to about one o'clock today. We have a lot to get to, and we want to get your comments, by the way. Don't forget, 85 55 That's 85 55 You can text, you can WhatsApp in, we'll read your comments on the air. Today, I want to tackle a very difficult topic, and that is transgender women or biological males, born biological males, in women's sport. Women's sport has been up against it for a, a long, long time. Men have dominated sport over the last 100 years. Women's sport doesn't get a look in. Only recently here in Ireland, of course, women's football is getting a look in only because they're women or because they're winning, should I say, and now they're getting supported financially and otherwise. It takes time, I understand, but we should be supporting women's sport in every way. But we're still continuing to allow women to be dominated by men when it comes to sport. And that is in the field of transgender women. Transgender women have an obvious biological advantage. One person who writes about this and has spoken about it many times is Sharon Davis. Sharon, of course, was an Olympic swimmer for the United Kingdom. She won a gold medal in the Commonwealth, but she was robbed of a gold medal in East Germany during the Olympics because of doping. That doping was testosterone, the exact same thing we have a problem with now when we look at biological male or trans women competing against women. She's now written a book, it's called Unfair Play, and she joins me on the line. Good afternoon to you, Sharon. Thank you. A really interesting read, the book, and it goes into not only, you know, the unfairness of it, but the science and why it's unfair. But we'll come to that in a second. You yourself, of course, at the time, for different reasons, were robbed of a gold medal. Now, I know you had, there was a suggestion there going back a couple of years ago uh, that you would have eventually got that. But maybe you could explain to our viewers and listeners exactly what happened in that situation when I suppose the doping was happening with the German um, athletes at the time. Yeah, so this is the 70s and the 80s, you know, way back, time of black and white TV and all of that, when I was competing, did my first Olympics at 13, and the East Germans was obviously behind the Iron Curtain in those days. So what they were doing was they were taking 11 and 12-year-old girls, and they were giving them an awful lot of, of synthetic testosterone, and they were putting them through male puberty. And so what they found that they could do with the girls in particular was give them a 9% improvement because of the drugs. Uh, we didn't have random out-of-season testing in those days. They worked out how they could get it out of their system within three days, and then they would go to the Olympics and they would just absolutely dominate in rowing, swimming, and athletics, particularly. Um, you know, in, in the Europeans, um, for example, during that period of time, they won 92% of all the medals and practically none of the men's medals. And they would turn up at events and they were, you know, they would have male physique, they would have deep voices, they would have bad poor skin, they would have Adam's apples. Um, and they would totally dominate. And we would see them, you know, for the very first time at a major international, which isn't the way things work. You would have to see youngsters come through on, on junior programs and all sorts of things. That must have been so very intimidating. Right. So, was that, that was very intimidating for you at the time, of course. Strange. This was your first experience yeah. at real competitive sport. And it must have been very intimidating to see these athletes who essentially had the physique of a man uh, competing against you, a woman. And look, we know why women and men are in separate categories, because generally speaking, women and men have different physiques, different... Uh, uh, I suppose, abilities and different strengths. So that must have been intimidating. Yeah, it was more frustrating than anything. You know, mm. we realised that these girls really had very little choice in the matter. Um, they, you know, were taken away from their homes. They were put into, like, if you're tall, you're going to be go off there and do this, be a rower, because that's what you can do. If you're short, you're going to be a gymnast. They worked it out very methodically and very scientifically. And they used them really as, as you know, lab rats and, and horrendous mm. side effects that these people now have. I mean, many have died. They have 
uh, disabilities, heart problems, kidney problems. They've had disabled children. I mean, the IOC are totally and utterly to blame for this. For 20 years, they allowed this to go on. So there were people like myself who lost out on medals, friends of mine that came fourth behind three East Germans who no one has ever heard of and whose whole lives would have been different, you mm. know, had the cheating been stopped. Um, and then, of course, there are these young girls that are having to deal with the consequences. And and it's it's men that were running sport that really have just had this. You talk about that in the book that, of course, women have been up against misogyny. Really. Yeah. For women's sport, yeah. you know, it just doesn't seem to matter to them. And although it's a very different process, we've got the same end result now, enabling people that are male to identify mm. as, as female and to go into races with other females who have gone through male puberty and have that advantage. And. At Olympic level, that's anywhere between 10 or 30%. So the more explosive an event is, the, the, the more advantage there is. So something like weightlifting, you know, 30%, middle distance running 10% and everything else in between. Swimming is about 11%, something like a, a long jump, high jump, about 22%. That's absolutely huge. So if you take away the the 9% that Petra Schneider had on me, on me um, into that particular race, she would have been 16 seconds behind me and probably wouldn't have even made the Olympics, let alone the Olympic final. I mean, I mean, so the, it's the, absolutely the proof, massive. Yeah, the proof is in the pudding, of course, but it wasn't the Olympic Games and it was the Commonwealth Games. And we have a clip there of you winning the gold in the Commonwealth Games. You probably haven't seen that in quite some time. Uh, and it's in I colour. love the it's Commonwealth because in... I didn't have any Eastern Bloc athletes. It was fantastic. I had and great it... Australians and great Canadians who were fantastic swimmers, still are. But um, we didn't have any of the, the you know, the, the systematic doping. So it was it was lovely. And I used to prioritise that competition with my dad for that reason. And do you remember? Do you remember that day? That must have been a wonderful moment for you. I mean, I to do. have that gold medal eventually. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. You were quite, you would be quite young at the time. But you talk in the book as well that you know a woman's place in sport, even in those days. We talk about obviously transgender now, which is a lot of misogyny. But it was misogyny then because a woman's place in sport was thought of as the person who put the garland around your neck, essentially. Yeah, and that, and that that's was it. Words. That was Pierre de Coubertin's words, you know. So we mm. we hold him up as this wonderful bastion of the modern Olympics, and in fact, he did everything in his powers to to keep women out of sport. And so the book isn't just obviously about the transgender debate; it's about the East Germany. It's about the challenges to women's sport. It's about the lack of progression. It's about the lack of, you know, awareness and sponsorship and, and airtime. So, for example, in America, and we're pretty much the same, you know, here in this part of the world as well, um, they get 1%, females get 1% of the primetime um, sponsorship money and 4% of primetime airtime. It's the same here. It's probably a very small amount. And only up until recently, to the women's soccer has done really well here in Ireland, have we seen a huge surge in the support for women's sport, particularly when it comes to soccer. In Ireland, of course, we have GAA, hurling. Uh, rugby, of course, is very popular yeah. in this country and we're doing quite well around the world in rugby. But again, the women's rugby is now starting to become popular. Why do you think it took so long for sponsors, for governments um, to basically get behind women's sport and, and particularly when it comes to outdoor sports or contact sports? Why did it take so long? I know. And, you you know, you use those as examples of, of women doing better. But in fact, I would argue that we're really still not. I mean, there's been a, a you know a rise of coverage in women's football, like you mentioned, but it's once in a blue moon. Uh, mm. It hardly happens. Only on when they're winning, basis. unfortunately. Exactly. Yeah. The same with rugby and women's cricket. So women's team sports have definitely had, you know, a surge and, and more investment, a little bit more profile. But there's still only a thousand women in the UK that earn their living from sport, whereas there's 11,000 men that earn their mm. living from sports. Now, they will and argue, of I, course. If, if I asked it, you to name other sports people, you'd really yeah. struggle. So if I, I asked you now struggle. to name 
badminton player, the best swimmer, I don't know, the best hockey player, you would really struggle because what's happened is we've had a rise in certain women's team sports, but it's been at the detriment of other sports. Mm -hmm. So once upon a time, you know, we used to have things like going back a while now, question, you know, we would have things like um, Grandstand and World of Sport on a Saturday afternoon, which showcased an awful lot of diversity in a lot of different sports. And now we don't have that. You know, we just sort of have primetime television and football in particular, you know, takes such a big piece mm-hmm. of the of the airtime which from, is completely from male dominated absolutely yeah, male dominated absolutely. i mean yeah. the only sport that i've ever noticed over the last say 20 years or so or 30 years i'm i'm not a huge sporting person i'm going to be totally honest with you but is tennis is the only one that seems to be in equilibrium uh, where not, we see not as really though not really so the only one that you would have heard of is emma radicando Right. Mm-hmm. So there you go. So Emma wins the American Open and has all this huge profile. It's all over the news. You know, they delay the news to show the final. Goodness, you know what? what have we seen of Emma since? <laughs> what have we seen about a female tennis player since that? Nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So the problem is we have these massive little spurts where it goes everywhere and then it just stops. Whereas if you open a, a, you know, a national newspaper and you look at the sports pages, there will be 20 or 30 stories on men's sport and you'll be lucky if you can find one. So it's the consistency of giving female athletes coverage, which we just don't have. I mean, the categories of male and female in sport. Uh, and we also have categories, of course, you know, for people who are disabled. We have people, categories for people in the Special Olympics. So we have categories for people in sport. Yeah. The argument currently at the moment is that, you know, a transgender male should be in a, or a transgender woman should be a biological male, should be in a woman's category. Well, this is what they're arguing. That's why the categories are there. Whereas another argument is, well, there should be a separate category if that's really what you want to identify. And I'm only looking at a peaked, uh, picture here at the moment or a headline in the paper, and it's a trans race winner finishes 2,400 kilometre cycle route 26 hours ahead of next female. Now, this was in Ireland, of course. This is Cara Dixon. Now, only recently yeah. in the UK, there's run in regulations where trans women cannot enter competitive cycling. But in Ireland, that same cyclist you'll see on the screen there beside you, just came in a day ahead of the nearest female. Email. I mean, what does that tell us? And why are we not doing anything about it? Is it political correctness? Yeah, it is political correctness. It's it's men running sports, particularly cycling, which is extremely misogynistic. It's got a very misogynistic history. Um, you know, women trying to get a, a, a women's Tour de France and, and uh, even be able to race at the Olympics took an extremely long time. So, yes, it is. I mean, it's... <laughs> It's incredibly frustrating when all the science tells us that this is not fair. So it's about trying to go, okay, well, let's protect the female category and say this is for natal females, this is for biological females. Then how do we include everybody? Because we must include everybody. You know, I'm a big believer that sport is for everybody. I spent my whole life promoting sport and trying to encourage people to be fitter and healthier. So I would never want to keep anybody out of sport. However, whether that's additional classifications or whether it's an open and inclusive category where people can identify however makes them feel most comfortable, then that's what we need to d- discuss and debate. And that's obviously the way that world athletics has gone, world aquatics but has gone. But we're not allowed to debate it. Isn't this the problem? And of course, we've had yeah, the controversy the in the United States recently, and one that would interest you more so is obviously Leah Thomas. And we've had that controversy in relation to what Riley Gaines is saying. I'll just play a quick clip of Riley Gaines, uh, the United States swimmer, and what she said in relation to Leah Thomas. Can play that it's clip not there. transphobic to acknowledge how women deserve respect, how we deserve safety, how we deserve fairness. We deserve our keeping our dignity. It's not transphobic to say that. Um, it, it's not transphobic to say that you can't change your sex. Sex is down to a chromosomal level, and that's not something that can be changed, and that matters in sports. Your biology, that sports is the one area where that 
your sexual chromosomes matter. Um, and again, I'll, I'll echo Harley's message as well, is you're not alone. The overwhelming majority of people regarding this issue of fairness in women's sports agree that having men in women's sports is wrong and that it's unfair and it's a violation to, again, our privacy and rights to safety as women. Um, so that would be my message, to be bold, be empowered, and before anything, stand firm in the truth. That was it in the Senate Judiciary uh, Committee that she made those comments. She was accused, of course, of being transphobic. She was physically attacked when she went to speak yeah. on many occasions over the last couple of months. You yourself, I'm assuming, have had quite a lot of hate from extremists, I imagine, uh, in relation yeah. to what you said. Yeah, very much. And, and mainly men. You know, it is very, mm. very misogynistic. It's men that now seem to be given a right under this guise of shouting at you, you know, bigot, transphobe, to be able to hit you over the head, that we're just somehow females all of a sudden are just not entitled to fair sport. So the inclusion of, of males into female sport really affects our opportunities and our fair sport, whereas the other way around, including transgender men in men's sport, has no effect whatsoever. In fact, the vast majority of females who identify as men still opt to, to race with the women. And the women have no problem. You know, providing someone is not on testosterone, so therefore gaining an illegal advantage, nobody has a problem. And this is the irony of the whole thing. Taking illegal testosterone is illegal. That's why we have WADA, which is the World Anti-Doping Agency, to stop athletes from using substances to gain a performance advantage. And yet somehow this doesn't apply to women's sport. You know, we're, we're saying over there in the, the men's races, you can't take anything. So it might give you a half a percent increase. So you're going to win the men's hundred. But over here in the women's races, you stand next to that person and you could start with a 15 percent advantage. Oh, it's no problem at all. I mean, that doesn't make and we, any we don't, sense. And we, we don't seem to have the opposite issue, by the way. We don't seem to see trans men wanting to enter, uh, or should well, I say... that's what I just explained. We don't. Because they, they, it won't, you know, they won't be able to compete. So what no. they do, if they want to have a competitive sporting career, they opt to still stay with the women, and they identify as men. And the women have no problem. So what I'm trying to say is, if the women have no problem, then why can't trans, you know, women race with the men and identify as trans women you know we should in a, in a civilized society be able to respect people however they identify but in sport we should be racing with the biological reality of the human body that we have not a feeling in our head which does not trump the physicality of the body it I mean, just when, doesn't when when we look at you know a lot of the headlines in relation to trans women or biological men who are essentially trashing female records all across the world and we'll see a few pictures there. I'll just flash up a few pictures of the more common ones that we've seen more recently in the news. It's quite obvious they have a very unfair advantage. Leah Thomas there, of course. Uh, they have a very for unfair advantage. But you in the book, of course, have looked into not only the physicality of it, but of course the science of it. And what are the rules? Or are there any rules in relation to transgender oh, taking but, hormones or whatever it happens yeah. to be? What the are rules the rules? The rules have been an absolute mess since the day that the ISC removed the need for transgender women or tra anybody that was transgender to have surgery. So that happened in 2015. It wasn't in time for anything to affect the Rio Olympic Games, but it obviously affected the Tokyo Olympics where we saw Laurel Hubbard, who was a 42-year-old weightlifter from New Zealand who'd been away from the sport for nearly a decade, transitioned and came back in. Um, the average age for weightlifters is is well and truly under 30. And there, you know, there they were 12 years older than the next person. Um, it's it's 
it's um it's been a mess you know everyone's been trying to do this thing about suppressing testosterone but there's no evidence to prove that suppressing testosterone makes any difference so once a male body has gone through puberty it's like blowing up a balloon it's been blown up it's there it, you're never going to be able to change that so just suppressing testosterone literally just stops it from blowing up any further but that massive difference is already there for example 14 year old boys in america are faster than all the women's world records bar the bar the marathon 14 year old boys <laughs> you know so it, 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 we don't we've got so much evidence to show that there's a vast difference that it was never logical to just open the, the floodgates and this reducing it for 10 years you know for one year for 10 animals or for two years 2.5 animals none of it makes any sense i mean but, I the, have but the lobby groups are so but the lobby groups are so powerful so loud but yet so small i mean it's I know, a very small percentage of the world it's a very small percentage of the world when it comes to female sports or it's a very small percentage of the world when it comes to trans women who enter female sports it's only i don't know maybe 40 or 50 or so i don't know what it is no, uh, it's way more world. than that it's way more we have 50 in in, in north america in cycling alone wow so you know but it's still a, it's still a small it. amount of the big scheme of things but yet they're quite loud it's growing every single day. That's the thing. Because we're allowing it, it's growing. So, you know, and it's not just affecting elite Is sport. it being it's abused? Is it, is it, isn't the case of being abused? When I say being abused, there are genuinely people who identify as the opposite gender. But do you believe people are actually abusing it to do better in sport? In other words, they don't really believe they're women. They're just going to identify as women to get into the sport. Is that happening? I honestly don't know. And, and and I honestly don't think I want to get involved in that because, you know, I've always been very clinical about this and very scientific. And I've always wanted to be fair, to find spaces for everybody in sport, but to work with the science. And it's working with the science that we've not been able to do. So there's 18 peer reviewed studies in the world and not a single one of them shows that we can remove male puberty advantage. And the last one came out of Brazil in September of last year. It was one of the largest and it showed after 14 years, we still could not get anywhere near a level playing field with regards to physical strength. So, you know, the messing around with testosterone is, is just, it's a total and utter red herring. We just need to say, right, here's a female category. Anyone that's gone through male puberty cannot be in this competition. And here is an open and inclusive category where everyone can identify however they like, and they are 100% welcome. Things like boxing, for example, it's really fascinating because world boxing have said, well, their men said, well, we will not box transgender men. So we will not box somebody who's biologically female because we're potentially going to kill them. You know, women, men hit 160% harder than women of equal weight. So if you Incredible. hit somebody 160% harder onto a less dense bone structure, somebody's head, for example, you are literally going to cause them brain damage and you're potentially going to kill them or certainly life altering you know, injuries. So the men said, we won't do it. So World Boxing said, okay, we need to set up separate leagues. We will support transgender community. They can box each other. Mm. And you know, so there's all sorts of debates that can be had and all sorts of solutions that we can find. But the solution of kicking female sport, young girls sport, women's sport, master women's competing, even something like park run, where now you just tick a box. So women are losing all their park run records because someone is ticking a box well, saying that they're a But it must be heartbreaking when I see young girls, particularly, of course, Leah Thomas is the most famous example currently in the world at the moment. But when you see young girls who are growing up in colleges, in competitive swimming, just as you did, you remember those days when you were 14 or 15 in the swimming pool every single day doing it, God knows how many lengths of the pool to keep your muscles toned up and et cetera, keep your body strong uh, to be able to do that. It must be really difficult to know 
I am fighting a losing battle. I'm wasting my time here because somebody's going to come in. I don't think we are fighting a losing battle, and all. I think, I mean, it's it's been a, a very unfair battle. It's been a really difficult battle, but we are getting there. We are now beginning to get the governing bodies to ask their female athletes, which it took them seven years to do that. We're, we're getting them to poll their athletes, which again, they didn't do. We're getting them to look at the science and we are getting governments to give, you know, to try to instruct uh, sporting governance to to be fair in sport. But it shouldn't have taken this long and it should never have happened in the first place. But I blame the IOC, as I always have. I mean, I go back to the IOC, the IOC and their terrible governance during the East German era, their terrible governance with regards to Russian doping, their ter terrible governance with regards to, you know, the, the Russian army sitting on the borders of Ukraine during the last Winter Olympics. I mean, they are not the governing body to hold up as an example of how to run anything, you know it's it's um but it's just the weakness of all the other governing bodies not to turn around and defend their female athletes which i found so very depressing after all these years leaving, leaving aside that unfair advantage the other disadvantage of course to women is as you rightly said it's not getting enough coverage where do you see that before we finish where do you see that in maybe five ten years time do you see that being resolved do you see it getting better or do you see that you'll be still on the television uh, telling us the same <laughs> thing? I really, oh God, I hope not. I really hope not. Um, well, World Aquatics has now protected the female category. World Athletics has. Uh, we're hoping very much that World Cycling will eventually. Cycling in the UK has. Triathlon in the UK has. Volleyball in the UK has. Uh, rugby was one of the first because obviously we've got to take in that you know the whole situation of danger as well and contact sports. Contact sports yeah. I know in Ireland there's been some extreme um, irresponsibility in contact sports you know I have seen 45 year old transgender women playing contact sports with 16 year old girls. That is that, a massive, that's, that's massive, a massive you're talking about you're talking about GAA uh, and I've, yeah. I think we've all seen those images. It's and outrageous. It's I mean, that, if I was a parent, I would not allow my daughter to go on that field. You are literally risking their life, you know. Mm. So it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And I do hope that if someone gets seriously hurt, and it would be a woman that gets seriously hurt, that whoever allows this is sued to Kingdom Come. Because they know all the science. They know it. You know, they are just choosing to ignore it. For the sake of political correctness. Well, look, one hopes that that will be resolved in the next five years. One also hopes, of course, that women's sport gets the recognition that it's getting or that it should be getting and gets the coverage it should be getting and gets the funding it should be getting. I think we're really starting to get here here in Ireland, for example. The women's football has finally started to get recognition. They're getting paid now. They're actually paying for their trips. They're actually paying for their gear and they're doing what, they're, what they should have been doing 10 years ago. But only because they started winning, by the way, can I just point out, and people are getting behind them now. So that's really good, but it's good for the sport anyway. Sharon, it's been a pleasure Thank talking you. to you. And, and continued success. And the book is called Unfair Play. And if people want to pick it up, you get it in all the usual bookstores. You'll pick it up on Amazon or you'll pick it up in all the usual places. How long did it take you, by the way, to put the book together? And I'm, I'm oh, sure it's full it of was... all the information that you just blinded me there with the science of the whole thing. Well, it had to be refed so carefully as well. You know, we had to be so legally careful with it and make sure everything was 100% accurate. So it took about a year and it was hard going, but I'm very proud of it. And we've had some really good reviews. So, yeah, And so you it. should be. I, I, I've just been reading some of it there and it's an incredible book. It really is an incredible book. Listen, thank you very much indeed, Sharon Davis. The book again is called Unfair Play, The Battle for Women's Sport. And you can pick it up in all the usual outlets. Sharon, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Podcast. Listen live on Facebook, YouTube, and all the usual live stream services. To get in touch, just WhatsApp or text 085-100-2255. The Nile Boylan Podcast. They told me to shut up.
Available for download from all your usual platforms.